heights to the depths of the sea. God responds to Elijah finally and says, You thought you were alone, Elijah, and I understand that. That's what a despondent person does. I you know they have the Eeyore complex, you know, who oh, woe is me and nobody loves me and God has abandoned me and my dog bit me and my cat scratched me and I got this fever now and you no, know, God says, I have reserved seven thousand in Israel, all who have not bowed the knee to Baal and whose mouth has not kissed him, and God always has a remnant. Uncontainable, you place the stars in the sky and you Welcome, everyone, and thank you for joining us. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with senior pastor and teacher, Rob Kellogg. Today, we learn of a final encouragement to Elijah. He repeatedly bemoaned that he was alone among the true followers of God. This assured Elijah that he was not alone and that his work as a prophet had indeed been fruitful along with showing him that his quiet ministry over the years actually bore more fruit than the spectacular ministry at Mount Carmel. Yet all the while that vile idolatry was spreading in Israel, the worship of the true God was being retained by 7,000 faithful souls, though Elijah did not know that there was even one beside himself. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he concludes chapter 19 in the book of First Kings. What are you doing here? Because the tone means everything, doesn't it? But whatever it was, it was right. And it was the right thing for God to do. And so notice that in spite of his fear, in spite of his fear, notice that God didn't berail him. He didn't berate him. He continued to minister to him. He was, even though he was a man larger than life, he was still a man nonetheless and subject to corruption and frailty. We saw a similar thing with King David, remember? He defeats this nine-foot champion, over nine feet. He defeats Goliath, and then, you know, he runs for his life from Saul. You know, his own countrymen, he runs, and then he goes up to Gath, and, and, and he's with the Philistines, and, and he walks in there, and, and he feigns himself to be kind of crazy, and his spit is dropping down in his beard, and he's scratching on the wall, you know, red rum, red rum, you know, and he's he's just... Wigged out, not one of David's favorite days, not one of his most faithful moments in his life. But isn't it true that sometimes even the spiritual giants that we tend to put on a pedestal, don't ever do that. They're just men and women, and they have moments of frailty and, 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 um, and suffering, and sin even. Put your faith and trust in Christ, not in any man. No matter how big his ministry is, no matter how big his radio program is, no matter how many people watch him on television, he's just a man at the end of the day. He's a man in God's image, just like you and I. Never forget that. Exalt Christ, not a man. Amen? 
So he went to Beersheba, and like I said, from, from Jezreel down to Beersheba is about a 70-mile hike. But he himself, verse 4, went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree, and he prayed that God might take his life. And he said, it's enough. Now take my life, for I'm no better than my father's. And so he, he goes out to this, this remote area in, in, in Beersheba, and he goes out there, and he, he goes out even further now. He leaves his servant in Beersheba. He goes out even further, and he sits down under what is called a broom tree or a juniper tree. And it's about a twelve. It can grow about twelve feet tall, and it's just enough to get some shade. And so he goes underneath this thing, and he's just despondent. He's just like, Lord, this woman's after me. She really means it. I know she means business because she's a Fortune five hundred gal, and she's coming after me. And uh, and 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 he's hiding. I wonder what would have happened if he'd have just stayed put. If he'd have just said, Lord, what would you have me to do? You've heard the threats of Jezebel. I wonder what history would have changed if, if he would have just prayed and said, and again, I'm, I'm, I'm saying this about this great man of God, but I've got my own issues too, and I, I make these mistakes just like we all do. But I don't, do you ever wonder what would have happened if he'd have just prayed and said, Lord, what would you have me to do? Maybe the Lord would just say, stay put, I've got you covered. She's going to try to come, but in route to coming to your house with a bunch of soldiers, I'm going to smote them all with blindness. They're going to be groveling on the floor. Has he done that before? Yes, he has. And he can do it again. And he can preserve his prophet regardless and, and, and not have his prophet running. God can do that. So then as he lay under the, the broom tree, suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and there was by his head was a, a cake you know bread on coals and a jar of water and he ate and he lay down again and the angel notice the angel of the lord underline that the angel of the lord now i I think it's very possible that this could be a pre-incarnate visitation of jesus christ whenever you see in the scripture the angel of the lord is usually a pre-incarnate visitation of Christ, meaning before he came into the womb of the Virgin Mary, before that happened, way back here in history, Jesus would show up at different times in Israel's history for different reasons. And I believe this could be one of them, because it says the angel of the Lord. And um, we call it a theophany. Or a pre-incarnate visitation. We see this in Joshua chapter 5. When Jesus, standing before the commander of the Lord's army, before they're about to go against Jericho, there's this commander of the army with his sword drawn. And he says, take off your shoes, Joshua, for you stand on holy ground. And he received worship, which means that it, it was not, no angel receives worship unless it's Lucifer. But this man clearly was not Lucifer, so it could only have been Jesus Christ, pre-incarnate, the commander of the Lord's army, and he received Joshua's worship. It also appeared to Abraham in Genesis 19 as he's standing in, the, in, his, uh, in his tent and he receives these three visitors right before the uh, destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. It speaks of one of them as being the Lord himself. Yes, Yahweh. God speaking to him in the, in, in the form of a man. Moses at the burning bush in the desert in Exodus 3. Yes, the angel of the Lord speaking to Gideon in Judges chapter 6. Or even Samson's mother and his father Manoah 
God speaking to them by an angel of the Lord speaking to them in Judges 13. And that's just a few. But notice at the end of verse 17, he says, Arise and eat because the journey is too great for you. See, even though the Lord didn't tell Elijah to go to Horeb or Mount Sinai, God knew where he was going to go. Elijah didn't need to go to God and say, you know what, God, I was up in Jezreel up there next to the Sea of Galilee, but I'm going to take a hike, not to Beersheba, I'm going to go even further down to Mount Sinai where it all began. That's where I'm going. He didn't say anything, but God knew where he was going. He says, the journey's too long for you, Elijah. You're going to need to eat. And he provides for him the sustenance that he needs. So he arose and ate and drank. He went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights. Incidentally, the same path that Elijah, that the Israelites made when they left Egypt, going into the promised land, is going to be very similar to what Elijah did. Because he went down to Mount Horeb or Mount Sinai, and he's going to travel. And remember how long it took the Israelites to go. It was 40 years that they went around, you know, and God purposely made them stay in the desert for various reasons, which I won't go into now. But notice it took 40 days, more than double of the time that it should have taken for him to get there. He could have gotten there in 20 days if he continued every day. But God was content with letting the prophet take his time. And I think there's something symbolic in this as well. And just as Moses was prepared in the desert for 40 years before he led the children of Israel out of Egypt, it was also 40 days in the desert for Elijah as God was preparing him for his next commission, which we'll read about in uh, verse 15. So he went into a cave and he spent the night in that place. And behold... um, the word of the Lord came to him and said, Elijah, what are you doing here? And, and, and he says, I've been very zealous for the Lord of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant. They've torn down your altars. They killed your prophets. I'm left and they seek my life. Everything in Elijah's statement there was true except for the last sentence. Again, he wasn't the last. There were a hundred other prophets alive that Obadiah had, had kept and then in First Kings 19, God will say to him, I've reserved 7,000 in Israel. We don't have uh, time to go there, but I'd write in the margin of your Bible right about now this reference, and it's Exodus chapter 33, beginning in verse 12 through 23. So Exodus 33, 12 through 23. But basically what it is, before we're going to, we've already read this, so you know what's coming But in Exodus 33, God, when uh, Moses and the children of Israel were commanded to leave Sinai, uh, Moses didn't want to leave unless unless God went with them. And he said, show me your glory, remember. And God had hid him in the cleft of the rock. He said, Moses, you can't see me face to face. Moses says, Lord, I want to see your glory. If you don't go with us, we don't want to go. Show me your glory. And God says, I can show you my glory, but you can't see the front part of my glory. No man has seen me and lived. He goes, but I will hide you in the cleft of the rock and I'll cover you as my glory passes by. And then I'll remove my hand and you can see my hinder parts of my glory. Only then are you going to be able to live. And it's the same place, we believe. It's very possible, the very same cleft of the rock that Elijah is now in. He now goes down there to Horeb, and he's probably in the same exact place. And this is what we see. Um, 
And God says to him in verse 11, Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord, and behold, the Lord passed by, and a great strong wind tore into the mountains. But the Lord wasn't in the wind and an earthquake, and the Lord wasn't in the earthquake, and then a still small voice. And and after the fire, nothing but a still small voice. And I notice, um, I love that, because in the world... Might makes right, and you think of all those, that display of God's glory in the in the wind and the earthquake and the fire, all very dramatic scenes that just make your eyes go that big around. But God, all, all that He didn't speak. But then, after all of that, God speaks in a small voice. But the Lord was not in the things that destroy, was He? He was in the things. In the still small voice. And Isaiah, I love this verse. Isaiah 28, verse 21. It says, For the Lord shall rise up as in Mount Perizim. He shall be wroth as in the valley of Gibeon, that he may do his work, his strange work, and bring to pass his act, his strange act. And what is that act? It says judgment. God doesn't speak in, I mean, he can and he does at times, but he loves to speak to his children in that still small voice, not in the dramatic fireworks that the world would applaud. He would much rather speak kindly and softly to us. Remember that Jesus is the Logos. He is the Word of God. and just the, He's the very thought and the express image of God. And Jesus' first advent, advent was one bringing peace with the intent on bringing many to salvation, but his was a still voice. In Isaiah chapter 42, what does it say concerning the Messiah? Uh, prophesying uh, 700 years before Christ would be born. It says this, Behold, my servant whom I uphold, my elect one, and whom my soul delights, I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the Gentiles. And here it is. He will not cry out nor raise his voice, nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. The gentleness of Christ, the gentleness of God, that's what this is about. God is speaking to Elijah in, a, in the most gentle way. And when Jesus came back, when he came his, in his first time, he was peaceful and gentle. But let me tell you, when he comes back in the second coming, it is for wrath and for judgment. There will be no peace. There will be no quiet. It's going to be a bloodbath. And worthy will they be who endure these things. But God does not delight in the death of the wicked. It is not his will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So it really is a choice, again, isn't it, for us. I can either choose to go my own way, or I can choose to go God's way. I think I'll take God's way. His way is peace, and I'm going to live forever with him. Why would anybody reject that? Well, we know why, because we like our sin more than we love God. And if you're in that place of loving your sin more than you love God, then you've got to go back to the prayer closet and say, Lord, remove this rebellious heart of mine. Take my heart and massage it. Soften it with oil, Lord. Make me submissive to you once again. And forgive me for my attitude. Forgive me for my sin, Lord. And do you think he will? Of course he will. Whenever we come to him with a, 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 a contrite heart, he will not despise. And a broken spirit, he, he will open his arms like, a, like the father with the prodigal son coming to him. See, that's the way we need to do it. Let yourself be broken and come to him. 
verse 15 now belongs, it begins God's new commission for Elijah. And I'll just get through this really quickly. Thank you for your patience. It says, the Lord said to him, go return. Now, now that you're down there in Sinai, what I want you to do, Elijah, is to now go north and go and return to the way of the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, I want you to do three things. I want you to anoint Hazael as king over Syria. Also, number two, you shall anoint Yehu, the son of Nimshi, as king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, uh, of Abel Meholah, you shall anoint as prophet in your place. And also you shall anoint, I already said that, excuse me, in verse 16. Now Elijah would personally anoint Elisha. He would do that personally. But we know those other two commissions that God had given them would actually come through his successor, Elisha. Elisha would be the one who would anoint Hazael king over Assyria. And it would be a servant of Elisha's that would anoint Yehu as king over Israel. And notice, it shall be, verse 17, that whosoever kills, escapes the sword of Hazael, Yehu will kill. And whoever escapes the sword of Yehu, Elisha will kill. The whole idea behind this was God was going to put an end to Baal worship. And he was going to use these three men to root it out to use this Syrian king, to use Yehu, and to use Elisha. These three men God was going to be using to root it out. In verse 18, God responds to Elijah finally and says, You thought you were alone, Elijah, and I understand that. That's what a despondent person does. I, you know, they have the Eeyore complex, you know. Oh, woe is me, and nobody loves me, and God has abandoned me, and my dog bit me, and my cat scratched me, and I got this fever now and no god says i have reserved seven thousand in israel all who have not bowed the knee to baal and whose mouth has not kissed him and god always has a remnant and so it says that he departed from there and as he's going north now from mount horeb or sinai he goes north and he finds elisha the son of shaphat somewhere in the middle of the jordan valley in between in between the uh, dead sea and the sea of galilee somewhere in the middle there was where elisha was and he passes by he throws his mantle on him while he's out plowing with a yoke of oxen and, and then Elisha says, please let me kiss my father and my mother, and I will follow you. And, and Elisha basically replies, do, do that, you know, do that. And it wasn't that, you know, when we think of Luke chapter 9, there is a, uh, a passage where it says, you know, if a, if a person puts their hands to the plow, they're not worthy if they look back. This was not one of those things. This was just a oriental custom that before you go and leave your father's work, you're going to go talk to him and basically say, this is what I'm doing and I'm going. And Elijah comes to that gathering and they have a big feast. And so Elijah's there, Elisha's there, and everything is made known to the family. And there evidently was peace with the whole thing. And so Elisha immediately follows Elijah, his successor. And we're going to see in the life of Elisha when we get to Second Kings, his ministry in fact, other than Jesus Christ, Elisha will do more miracles than anyone else in the Bible. He'll do twice as many as Elijah did. And we'll find out why that is. But interesting, isn't it? Just to see this, this character. You know, Jezebel. And to see how a very faithful man, 
like Elijah could run. It sort of reminds me of the, the elephant in the wild. You know, an elephant can face off with a lion and, you know, he can stand there with his trunk waving back and forth and the lion can jump on him and he can shake him off and stomp on him and break his ribs. But a little mouse comes into the room or a little mouse goes by and that elephant starts to dance. Isn't it interesting? This big thing all of a sudden becomes scared of this little thing. And so it's good to keep our faith and our trust in him, right? Trust in the Lord with all of our heart. Lean not on your own understanding, which is what Elijah did. But in all your ways, acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. He shall do that. I wonder how things would have been different. But tonight we talked a lot of, about a lot of things, you know, just about roles of women as well. And don't be a Jezebel. Jezebel is never a good name. In fact, in the book of Revelation, in chapter 3, it talks uh, Jesus writing to the church at Thyatira. There was a woman who was named Jezebel, evidently one of the, pa- the a pastor of Thyatira, evidently perhaps even this man's wife. And she was unfaithful, and her name just happens to be Jezebel. And she, she seduced the servants into sexual impurity. So Jezebel is not a good name. So if you have kids... Ladies, if you have a daughter, name her something other than Jezebel. And guys, if you have a son, don't call him Judas. But take these things to heart. You know, they're good lessons for us. They're, they're right there for Nothing has really changed. We, we, it, these things that Jezebel is doing with the usurping authority over her husband, these things are happening in the homes of many, even in the church. But deal with them graciously and lovingly. Be in prayer. And encourage. Don't go in and stomp and yell and scream. We're going to get this right tonight. We're going to turn this boat around. We're going to put up a new sail. And we're going to start this thing off right. You sit down. You sit down and get that smirk off your face. And suck in that gut. Get a haircut, son. You You don't go in there and do that kind of thing. Gentleness. Prayer. (laughs) Very hard for us to do that. But it's the right way to do it. Love. Love, love. Treat your spouse the right way. Lovingly pray for them and encourage their faith because you need to be encouraged in your faith. Let's stand together. I've kept you long enough. Thank you for your patience. Heavenly Father, we thank you for what we've read tonight and Lord, just for the encouragement, the exhortation and even the warning, Father, of some of these things. And Lord, make us men and women of faith. Lord, that before we run and tuck tail and head for the hills, Lord, may we always, before we are uh, uh, thinking about doing something spur of the moment and acting in the moment, in the passion of the moment, Lord, and making a snap decision, Lord, help us to be very, very careful, especially in times like that, Lord, and help us, especially in the time that we live in right now, Lord, not to, be, not to live under the specter and the, the, the shadow of fear, Lord, help us not to do that. Help us to remember who our Savior is, who our God is. Help us to remember that you are Almighty God. There's no one, there's nothing in heaven above or on earth beneath that can pluck us out of your hands. Lord, you are sovereign and awesome, and you are loving, and you're a wonderful creator. We love you so much, Jesus. And we thank you for this night. Please minister and speak in that still small voice to us tonight, Lord. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 
I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today, but please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of 1 Kings. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m., Monday through Friday, at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office you can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Podcast or Apple Podcast. You're also invited to join us on Sunday and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link on the website. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you with your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.